You're listening to an audio sermon from Household of Christ. We trust that you will be encouraged and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. My topic this morning is marriage, and I want to speak to you about love and marriage. And I know I'm going to give my age away here, but some of you might be able to relate uh, to this. It comes out of the 1950s. And Frank Sinatra used to sing a song that went like this, love and marriage, love and marriage. And then he said, and you can see how old it is, go together like a horse and carriage. And he says, you cannot have one without the other. And I think that is so vitally important to realize that love is the essential foundation of marriage. So that's what I'm going to speak about. But before I get to that, I just want to make two statements about marriage in God's Word. And here's the the first statement. God's Word declares marriage good. It says marriage is a good thing. Why? Because marriage is an institution of God. God instituted it. I know somebody said, Uh, marriage is an institution, but who wants to live in an institution? Now, that's not the kind of institution that I'm talking about. I'm referring to the fact that marriage was established, initiated by God. I like what I read in, in Genesis 1 when we read about God's creation. Every time God made something, He declared it to be good. You can go and read there in Genesis 1 that when he made the light, he said was good. Uh, The earth and the seas, uh, uh, that was good. All of those things were good. There's only one time in Genesis where God said, he made something, he said it's not good. And you can go and check it out. It's in chapter two and verse 18, where it says that, that God made man, and then he said, it is not good. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. I'll read the rest in, in a moment. I, I heard some woman say, God said, it's not good. And then he tried again. He made woman and he said, it's really good. But, but what he said, if I can read the rest of the scripture, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And uh, then it, it speaks about him creating a helper comparable to him. Now, I I just want us to understand this. When God said it's not good, he didn't suddenly discover that there was something amiss in his creation. Those words were actually recorded for us uh, because his plan was not finished. It was not complete yet. So those words were recorded for Adam's sake to show him (laughs) that is no good without women. So, uh, the truth is this, men would not have existed if they were not women. That's the bottom line. And it's only after God created male and female that uh, we read this statement in Genesis. It says, God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. So, here's uh, my message for every man here. 
A man is incomplete until he's married. After that, he's finished. <laughs> and just incidentally, I, I, I don't know if you, if you read the same Bible that I do, but what God is saying is that man needed help. That's why God made a helper and a help meet for him. The King James says, in other words, a helper comparable to him. Any single guys here, you don't have to put your hands up, but let me just say this to you. You might need help to get a help. God realized that. That's why God made the perfect partner uh, for him. So uh, uh, that's the first statement. God declares marriage to be very good. Second statement I want to make is this. God's word affirms that marriage is a lifelong covenant of love. Because it's a lasting commitment. I have never heard anybody, any man, for instance, asking a woman, will you marry me for a few years? When you get married, you need to realize this is a lifelong commitment and that's how God saw it. Now, I, I just want to give encouragement if you are a divorcee, let me say this, God hates divorce, but he loves the divorcee. And there's hope for you. And uh, you need to realize that. But marriage is a love commitment. Uh, it's, it's very interesting because we need to know that love is not a choice. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. And to the husbands in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Paul says it clearly. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then interesting because somebody said to me, there's no commandment to women to love their husbands. You're wrong. You, you haven't read your Bible properly because in Titus 2.4, Paul speaks to the older women and he says, urge the younger women to love their husbands. So the bottom line is this, it's a covenant of love, a lifelong covenant. Now, a good marriage starts when you marry the one that you love and it gets better when you love the one that you married because it needs to just continue. Uh, now, I'm going to speak about love today and I'm going to actually focus on wrong concepts that people have about love because people sometimes you know you you find the word love and it means different things to different people at, at different times i've heard people say i love chocolate cake i love the blue bulls i love my wife i it's not the same kind of love definitely hopefully not so so very interesting. If we want to discover true love, I think for me, always want, when um, I want to teach on a specific topic and give people understanding about that, I first want to get the wrong ideas out of their head. Otherwise, they're thinking the wrong thing all the time and they're attaching it to that wrong concept. So let me just give you um, an, an idea of 
how the world sometimes have this wrong concept of love. Now, you will know this. Most songs today have love as a topic and relational love, but it's not always uh, true love. It's not the, the right concept. Now, I, I'm going to, um, to give you some examples. I did some research on songs that actually have the title True Love. And I have just extracted some of the lyrics. And again, I'm starting in the 1950s. Can anybody remember Bing Crosby? Anybody heard of Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly? They had a song entitled True Love. And their concept, now I know they didn't write this song, but their concept in this song is that love came from an angel. And an angel would give you this gift of love because here's what it says. I give to you and you give to me true love, true love. Thank you. There's a basket at the door. You can uh, give your contributions there. Now, listen to, to these lyrics. For you and I have a guardian angel on high with nothing to do but to give to you and to give to me love forever true. Now, love doesn't come from an angel. Love comes from God. He's the source of love. The Bible doesn't say that God has love. It doesn't say that God can love. It says God is love. He's the source of love. So if you in your marriage want to make sure that it's built on the right foundation, you need to draw from God's resources. Because human love fluctuates, and I'll say more about that. Now, let me help, because I see there are a, a lot of people. Let me help you, and I'll skip to uh, the, the 21st century and a British alternative rock group called Coldplay. They had a song called True Love, and this is even worse. Listen to their idea. Just tell me you love me. If you don't, then lie. And call it true love. So that's the wrong concept. And now it, it's getting worse. Pink. Anybody know about Pink, American singer-dancer? Her lyrics about, and this is again a song called True Love. It goes like this. Sometimes I hate every single stupid word you say. Sometimes I want to slap you in your whole face. I hate you. I really hate you so much. I think it must be true love. How wrong can you get? That was their concept of, of love. So here's what I want to do. Let me mention a few wrong ideas that people have of love. And then I hopefully can... Uh, can say something about, about true love. Here's the first thing. Get rid of this concept. Love is not just physical attraction. Now, interesting, I'm going to show you this. There are four main Greek words for love. And he, the first one is uh, connected to physical attraction. It's the word, now, let, let me first of all explain I'm not a Greek expert. I know a little Greek. He has a cafe on the corner close to our house. 
But, but the, the first word that I want to focus on is the Greek word eros. Now, the first three words, let me say this. These kinds of love have a place, but on their own, they cannot be true love. I'm not saying that they are false imitations of love, but they are limitations of love. That's what I, uh, I want to get across to you. So it's, it's interesting that the word eros does not even appear in the New Testament because it describes a sensual kind of love. And um, probably by the time the New Testament was written, it was so associated with, with lust rather than love that it's not even mentioned in the Bible. And that's where we, we get our word eroticism from eros, which was supposedly the Greek god for love. So I'm talking here about physical um, affection. I'm talking about intimate sexual love. And there is a place for that. The ultimate expression of this love is reserved for the marriage union. Say amen, say aish, say aina, say something because it's true. And so on its own, this kind of love is just sensualism. It's pleasure seeking. And true love goes much deeper than that. Now, um, I, I want to read what Peter says about physical attraction because there's so much emphasis on physical attraction, on outward appearance in the Bible. And the truth is this, beauty can be only skin deep. And this translation puts it this way in 1 Peter 3 and verse 3. And he's speaking to the ladies here. Uh, I think he could speak to the men too. But he says, don't depend on things like fancy hairdos or gold jewelry or expensive clothes to make you look beautiful. Be beautiful in your heart. By being gentle and quiet, this kind of beauty will last and God considers it very special. In the book of Proverbs, we know chapter 31 and verse 30, it says, Charm can be deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears God and reverences God shall be greatly praised. So what you need to look for if you are looking for a life partner is not just physical attraction. It's not just outward beauty. You need to look at the heart. Uh, I'm not the kind of preacher I don't preach against makeup. For me, if it can be an improvement, please use it. I know God looks at the heart, but I have to look at your face. Help me too. But what I'm trying to say is this, you need to focus on the beauty inside. There was a time when I was young and handsome. Now I'm just handsome. At least Cora thinks so because she calls me handsome. When she wants money, she says, handsome over. <laughs> You see, as believers, we need to be different to the world. The world places great value on physical 
or sexual attraction. It appeals to the sensual side of one's nature. That's why we have so many health clubs, beauty parlors, etc., etc. And I'm thinking of the story of a guy who told his friend, he said, my wife went for a beauty treatment and um, he says it was something unique. Uh, he says they put a mud pack on her face. So his friend said, did it help? He said, yes, until the mud fell off. <laughs> Thank God, beauty on the inside lasts forever. So physical attraction could be an expression of true love, but it cannot replace it or stand on its own because on its own, it's selfish, it's sensual desire. Let me uh, 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 close this section with a quote from Martin Luther. We know him as the uh, well-known Protestant reformer. He said this, some marriages are motivated by mere lust, but mere lust is felt even by fleas and lice. Love begins when we wish to serve others. Wow. Okay, so here's the second wrong concept or a second limitation of love. Love is not just physical attraction. Secondly, love is not limited to family affection. Nothing wrong with loving your family, but if you're only doing that, you have not started to love. Here's the second Greek word used, and this time in the New Testament for love, the word storge. And it speaks of a kind of a family affection mainly. Interesting, it's not even used on its own in the New Testament. It is used three times, uh, once in combination with another form of love, twice um, uh, in a negative form saying you are without this kind of love. So here is, is what it means. It's that kind of affection that you would show to your children, to your family, but on its own, it is still favoritism. And sometimes this favoritism, when it's practiced to the extreme, becomes nepotism, where you only favor those who are part of your kin. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12. Interesting scripture. Paul writes and he says, May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other and to everyone else. Wow. And then in, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 21, he says, observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. You see, if you confine your love only to your family members, it's still a form of, of selfishness. I heard about a prayer where this guy prayed and he said, Lord, bless me and my spouse, our two children in our house, us four and no more. Amen. And I know this is a family conference, but let me say this. If you want real, true love, it needs to be, go beyond the, the narrow limits of just your, your family. And let me again say, many marriages are based on these two lower kinds of love. Um, we need to go beyond our family, beyond our church, beyond our, our social group or our ethnic group or race, etc., etc. Amen. Third wrong concept of love. Love is not mere sentimental pleasure. 
There is sentimental pleasure out of love. And here is the third Greek word that I want to, to tell you about, and it's the word philia. And philia is an emotional kind of love that you usually demonstrate to your, your friends. And um, interesting, this was the most common Greek word outside of the Bible at that time. It was used so often, but it's still used fairly sparsely in the Bible, only 26 times in the New Testament. 25 times you find the verb and the noun once, and it's often found in, um, in compound words, love for humankind, love for brothers, love of hospitality, love of what is good, but also love of self, love of pleasure, love of strife love of money, etc., etc. So let me say that philia is that friendly affection and it's based on the pleasure that you derive out of a situation, uh, out of a friendship or a relationship. Now, friendship, love is important, but again, it should not stand on its own because on its own, it's just emotionalism. Love is more than just a warm feeling of pleasure. If I can mention another wrong concept of love, Tina Turner uh, used to sing a song and, and she used to say, love is a secondhand emotion. I have news for you. Love is not an emotion. Go and read Galatians 5 and you'll find that love is part of, look at me, the fruit of the spirit, not an emotion. So it comes out of your heart, out of your spirit. It's much deeper than, than just emotion. If your love is based on emotions, then when the feeling fades, so will love. I heard about um, a newly married couple and he arrived home and his wife uh, deep roasted his favorite meal kind of beyond recognition I'm just putting it in a nice way <laughs> and so uh, obviously she was crying and she was very uh, very upset about it and he he said uh, uh, don't don't worry about it she said I had to give it to the dog he said there's no problem we'll just buy another dog And you see, if, if you are faced with a situation where you get pleasure out of it, and that's what you base your love on, your love is going to ride a roller coaster all the time. And if ever your wife messes up your favorite dish and, and deep roasts it, if she puts it in front of you, have the right attitude. See that she's actually idolizing you because she's putting a burnt offering in front of you. <laughs> just have the right attitude about it. So here's what philia is about. Listen to me carefully. Philia always reaches up. True love, I'm going to show you, is prepared to reach down. Philia says this, if you can contribute to my pleasure, my popularity, my promotion, my position, my prominence, my prestige, my pride, my pocket, my peace, then I will love you. 
If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. That's not what true love is about. I want to read this, uh, this scripture, the words of Jesus in Luke 6, verses 32 and 33. And if you don't mind, it's not really in the Bible. I'm going to read from the unauthorized perversion. Is that, is that okay? Because listen to this. You'll be able to understand this. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even Hollywood movie stars love those who love them. Now he says sinners, but I just want to make it real. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even members of the mafia do the same. You can go and read the, the real translation. But, but, but here's the bottom line. Philia says, if you love me, I will love you. Philia says, if you change, I will love you. True love says, I love you, full stop. True love says, I love you, and my love will change you. That's what God did to us. And so it's not a love just based on mere sentimental pleasure. Let me get to the next one. This is important, wrong concept. Love is not romantic fantasy. Because here's how the world pictures love in movies, etc., etc., and even in fairy tales. How do fairy tales end? And they lived happily ever after. The truth is this it's not always happily. Let's be honest about it. There are some times that you have to face tough situations, but you have to keep on loving. So it's not romantic fantasy. I remember there was uh, this uh, uh, um, commercial for deodorant on TV. If you just, if men would use that deodorant, then the girls just follow him. Only in movies and advertisements. So it's not romantic fantasy. It goes much deeper than that. And we need to realize this. And, and just incidentally, and I don't want to spoil anybody's fun here, Valentine's, St. Valentine's Day is actually taken out of context. If you go and read about this, Valentine was a Christian martyr. And the focus on Valentine's Day should not be romantic love, but brave, courageous love, because that's what he had. Now, there's a place for, for romance. Uh, 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 don't, don't misunderstand me. But your flesh is always fascinated with this fluttery, flirty feeling of infatuation. But the spirit, the fruit of... of uh, the Holy Spirit actually facilitates in you a faithful love. It's not just about romanticism. Can I give you another song that has the wrong concept of love? Can anybody remember Dean Martin? Dean Martin sang this song. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. And then he sings about bells that will ring and whatever. And it's, it's all of this romance thing. 
but there's no substance to love. You see, it's, it's not that you are intoxicated like Dean Martin sings. Here's what romantic love will do. And maybe you've caught yourself doing this. Romantic love makes you pine away in sadness thinking of someone you've never met. And we have these dreams. The girls dream about that knight in shining armor. Can I give some advice to the, the, the unmarried, the single girls here? Don't wait for Mr. Right or Mr. Perfect because he's already married. Okay, Cora will set the record straight afterwards. <laughs> I heard one guy say, you know, uh, I, I married Miss Wright, but I didn't know that her first name was always. <laughs> so here's what romantic love is. And I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard, you've used these words too. Here's what the world says. Please help me, I'm falling in love with you. Romantic, romantic love is not something you fall into. It's not something somebody pushes you into. It's true love is a decision that you make. It's a choice that you make. You step into it. You don't fall into it. Albert Einstein, the, the physicist, said this, gravitation cannot be held responsible for people falling in love. You see, it's not a romantic feeling. You cannot wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I don't feel married today. I have news for you. <laughs> you are married. Cannot be based on, on, on your feelings. You need to have true love. And just incidentally, sometimes in your marriage situation, listen to me carefully, you have to love by faith. You know, when you, when you are courting, that young woman, she prepares herself, she spends hours to get ready. When you get married and you wake up in the morning and you look at your wife, you sometimes have to say, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by the word of God. <laughs> That's faith. <laughs> and you have to love, to love by faith. So a romantic fantasy life forever free from problems is false idealism. It just doesn't exist. Real life demands tough love love that will hold up in difficult days. I need to finish. Here's another wrong concept. Number five, love is not blind acceptance. I know there's an expression that says love is blind. Somebody said yes, and marriage is an eye-opener. But love is not blind. Here's the thing. True love sees clearly. True love sees better and sees more. And that is the miracle of true love. Despite what you see, 
you keep on loving. You know, it's, it's easy to, to kind of show me some kind of love. You see me here for a few minutes on the stage. Cora has to live with me 24-7. It's a miracle that she still loves me. But that's true love. <laughs> because she loves me warts and all. So it's not blind acceptance. True love actually sees what is wrong. It, it, it is not about finding the perfect person, but it's seeing an imperfect person perfectly. That's what true love is about. It sees the faults. It sees the weaknesses of another, but it still keeps on loving. And it strives to bring uh, healing in that situation. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.15. He says, love should always make us tell the truth. Then we will grow in every way and be more like Christ. So failure to recognize somebody else's faults is a form of deception. I'm going to rush. Number six, love is not weak permissiveness. Some people think to love somebody really, you have to give in to every desire, every passion, and it does not permit or allow, uh, or it, it allows somebody to, to act without limitation. No, love actually draws a boundary. Let me use an example, and Cora's gonna speak about parenting and children, but let me use an example here. If you live on a busy street, and you have a, a fence and a gate, and you tell your small children, you do not go outside that gate. Why do you do that? Do you want to spoil their fun? No, you know the dangers outside of that boundary. If you allow your children to do whatever they want to, you are not loving them. There must be boundaries, and there must be consequences when you overstep the boundary. And let me just throw this in at no extra cost. Rules without relationship result in rebellion. If you only have rules in your house, but there's no deep relationship, it will result in rebellion. You need to uh, uh, love those children and then you can can set those boundaries. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 says, a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. And there are, are more scriptures. I'm just going to mention this one. Hebrews 12 and verse 6. The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines the, those he calls his own. If God disciplines, then we should discipline in love. Amen. So love has a boundary. And I speak to the, the single girls here. If a man, a young man comes to you and says, if you love me, you will sleep with me. I want to give you some choice words that you could use, that you can tell him. Hamba, Samaya, Puma, Sugawena. Those are good words. <laughs> so if he, if he says to you, if you love me, you'll sleep with, with me, you draw a boundary and you say, if you love me, you will honor me. That's the boundary. And I reserve that for marriage. 
So a so-called love that is permissive is basically just indulgence. The last false concept that I want to focus on here is love is not passive pity. To feel sorry for someone in a passive way is not true love. It's probably an indication of inner weakness and it's superficial and it, it actually can lead that person into self-pity. You need to, to put action to your love. I, I, I love this. Go and read in, in um, especially the King James and the New King James Version where it would describe Jesus in this way. When he saw the people, it says he was moved with compassion. And that's a very good rendition of what the Greek says. Because if you feel sorry for someone, you are moved. And go and read in those instances how Jesus, every time he either taught them, he healed them, he, uh, he did something for them and was not just um, uh, a passive in, in that situation. So it, it, it's very interesting that Greek word move comp with compassion. If, if you translate it differently, the, it speaks about your spleen. And, and in English, we would say, I love you with all my heart. So the Greek said, <laughs> I love you with all my spleen. It, it speaks about your inner organs being moved with compassion. And that's the kind of, of love that we should show. Uh, William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, put it this way. It's impossible to comfort people's hearts with the love of God when their feet are perishing from cold. That's just the bottom line. So real love speaks to, uh, seeks to help through wise words and through appropriate actions. Okay, I, I've addressed the, the single woman uh, a number of times. Let me say this to the single men and the married men. You need to keep on telling your spouse, your future partner, I love you. Women need to hear that. And then put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> because otherwise it's passive pity. Um, I, I, I wish I had more time, but my time is up. Maybe uh, at, at the next occasion we can deal with this. Let me quickly go through uh, some characteristics of true love. And incidentally, the Greek word uh, used here is the word agape. And it speaks of a, a noble affection, a kind of a, a, a moral love shown to, to everybody. Here's, here's something interesting. I said to you that some of these words were used a lot outside of the Bible in, in that time. Agape was not used that often, but it's the most common word in the New Testament for love. Because it's almost as if this word was just lying there waiting for somebody to give expression to it. And you know who gave expression to it? Jesus, when, when uh, you asked Jesus how much do you love me? He will say, I love you this much. 
when he gave his life, that was evidence of how much he loved you. So go and read it. You'll find that this word appears more than 300 times in, in the New Testament. It's a noble love. It's a supernatural love. It's a spiritual love. It's a volitional love, which means your will is involved. Your choice is involved. Uh, it's a sacrificial love. It's an effectual love. It's a merciful love. I have two more sermons <laughs> just about, about these. Let me finish with this. And I've, I've sort of had a glimpse of Cora's notes. I don't know what she's going to say, but I saw that she had uh, a little drawing there of one of our grandchildren. What makes an artwork valuable? They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So what makes an artwork valuable? How people look at it and they, they will ask, who painted this? If it's a famous artist, it could be an ugly picture, honestly. But because that person made it, it becomes valuable. You are valuable not because of what you look like or who you are. You are valuable because of who made you. So God doesn't love you because you are valuable. He considers you valuable. That's why he loves you. Amen. And you know, if you have little children or grandchildren, you know when they come back from school with a little drawing, it might be totally worthless for anybody else but you put it on your fridge you sometimes even frame it why because you place value on that child and that's why that becomes valuable god places value on you that's why he loves you amen let's stand and let's pray father we thank you that your word is so clear and we thank you that despite all these wrong concepts of love that the world offers us your word explains to us what true love is what real love is what the fruit of the spirit is help us lord to understand through the revelation and the illumination that the Holy Spirit gives us to have a proper understanding of true love. Help us not to base our relationships, especially in marriage, on these wrong concepts, on these imitations and sometimes limitations of love. Help us to expand our concept of love help us for our love to grow and to overflow as we read beyond our ability to love help us to draw from your resources because you are love you are the inventor of love you are the source of love and father i pray for every marriage represented here i thank you that the love of Christ that has been shed abroad in our hearts will form the basis of that. And that when we love our spouse as you loved us, 
It'll be a reflection of your goodness and your kindness, and we will be a testimony to the world around us. We thank you for that. In the name of the one who loved us and gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon. For more information, please go to our website, www.hoc.org.za. Household of Christ, loving God, loving people.